G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. You're either building the city of God or you're building the city of man. Trying to make a name for God and build his kingdom, or you're trying to make a name for yourself and build your own kingdom. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll continue, whose kingdom are you really building? And Pastor Jeff asks us what city we're invested in, the city of God or the city of Babylon or self? Are we searching for meaning in temporary things or are we invested in our covenant relationship with Jesus? If you're using your resources to build a name for yourself, to get more and more wealthy, to build bigger and bigger barns, that's adultery. You're cheating on the groom. We are the Bride of Christ. This is Today with Jeff Vines and the remainder of his message, Whose Kingdom Are You Really Building? John sees a revelation to warn us that the temptation is that we'll get so busy that we'll skim life and we'll be superficial and shallow. Can Can I ask you, let's be honest now, come on. Which city are you living in? Do you have a daily devotional life? Do you have an accountability partner, somebody that asks you the tough questions? Are you in a life group where you discuss the matters of God and the implications for your life? Do you have deep and meaningful worship experiences? Is worship a priority? If your answer is no, then just be honest. You're not living in Jerusalem. You're still living in the city of man. You've become too busy You've been sucked into the vortex of the merchants. They got you. You've become an adulteress in your attitudes, in your dress, in your pursuits. You're trying to make a name for yourself. You're building the kingdom of man with all your activities. And you engage in occasional religious experiences just in case the kingdom of Christ is real. Number three, have you fallen in love with a harlot? In verse 5 of chapter 17, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Let's talk for a minute. Now stay with me. What is an adulterer really? What is someone who commits adultery? Imagine a man coming to his wife and saying, Sweetheart, I know that you've borne my children. I know that you spent all that time in labor. I know that you put me through school. I know that you've been faithful to me. I know that you've been there when I needed you the most. I know that the man I am is basically because of who you are. I know that any success I have has greatly to do with you. However, sweetheart, I'm moving in with another woman. Now, the sad thing is that happens all the time. We call that person an adulterer, right? Do you realize that we, who are supposed to be living in Jerusalem, are called the bride of Christ? He made a covenant with us and sealed it with his blood. He's given us everything. His mercies are new every day. Yet though we may die, yet shall we live. He's the reason for our hope and our future, and our glory. 
He is the reason we have no fear. He is why that joy has become central and sorrow only peripheral. He's the reason we figured out the big questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. He is in our corner. He's supporting us, interceding for us, forgiving us, securing our eternity. Imagine walking up to him now and saying, dear Jesus, thank you, but I'm moving in with Babylon. I'm going to pursue the things of Babylon. I'm going to serve her. I'm going to live for her. I will invest in her. The Bible calls this adultery. Why? Because Psalm 24, 124 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Because James 5, 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above. Because John 3, 27, in the words of Jesus, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. The Bible says everything you have. All your resources, all your gift, talents, and ability given to you by God. Therefore, if you spend your time building your own city and conforming to Babylon and ignoring Jerusalem and helping people in Babylon find their way, people far from God come near to God. If you're using your resources to build a name for yourself, to get more and more wealthy, to build bigger and bigger barns, that's adultery. You're cheating on the groom. We are the bride of Christ. In fact, in Revelation 19, 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. But look at how we made ourselves ready. Verse eight, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, isn't that interesting? On the one hand, we are made prepared for the groom by the Acts of Christ on the cross, he gives us the white robe of righteousness. Though our sins may be as scarlet, they will become white as snow. But there's a cause and effect here. This is what we seldom talk about. The Bible seems to indicate that the person who's truly experienced salvation by grace through faith is actually going to have some righteous acts in their lives. You're going to know them by their fruits, by the way they live. So whether you're a teacher or a pool builder or a doctor or a plumber, construction worker, dancer, artist, actor, actresses, financier, whatever you are, those living in Jerusalem live by this code that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Those who live in the city of Jerusalem, they recognize everything's been given to them by God and their primary passion is to invest it in the kingdom that lasts forever. I had an elder in New Zealand. He worked for Air New Zealand. And every time he got a promotion, he would come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, got another promotion. I say, man, that's fantastic. He goes, man, you know what that means? I say, what does that mean? He says, that means I can invest more in the kingdom of God. Every time he got a promotion, he didn't spend it on himself. He gave it away. He never built a bigger house. He never drove a nicer car. He lived in the place he had lived from the time he had been married. And every time God blessed him with more, he gave it away. Why? Because he was living in the kingdom of Jerusalem. And he knew that everything he had belonged ultimately to God. And when you live in Jerusalem, your primary passion is not to build your own kingdom or make a name for yourself. Your primary passion is for those who are far from God to come near. And if you're a person that loses no sleep over a slim harvest, it's because you're living in Babylon, not Jerusalem. While those who are living in Babylon live by this code. James chapter four, look what he says. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then look at the next verse. We seldom read it. Adulterers and adulteresses. Wow. Why would it be adultery if I take what God gives me when I pray and spend it on my own pleasures? 
rather than investing in the kingdom of God. Because he is my first love. My love is him and his purposes coming to fruition in my life. Can I just take a moment to speak to you parents since we're emphasizing shift students? You cannot raise your children in Babylon and expect them to live in Jerusalem. They see how you spend your money. They see what you watch and what you read and what you pursue. They know your priorities. You can't fool them. What do you read in your house? What get talks about in your house? What is pursued in your house? What is the treasure in your home? What is loved and valued in your house? What gets taught? How often are these words mentioned in your home? Jesus, salvation, one life, service, sacrifice, prayer, the Bible, generosity. The longer I'm removed from the death of my father, the more I began. I love him even more today than I did when I knew him when he was alive. Because I've begun to realize something about my dad. He raised me in Jerusalem. And because he raised me in Jerusalem, that's where I feel more comfortable. I remember we were a poor family, man. I had three brothers. We lived in a two-bedroom house. We had very little money and survived on the garden and the crops that we planted in the summertime. I spent a lot of time shucking corn and picking beans and digging potatoes. But there was a little white envelope on the mantle of my Home and every Sunday morning before we went to church, dad grabbed it. It had God's money on it. I saw my dad out of his poverty give to God. I remember when McDonald's first came to our hometown. I think I've mentioned this before. McDonald's in the 70s. We finally got a McDonald's. We've arrived. (laughs) And every time, every Sunday morning after church, we'd pass by and a lot of our church people were there. And my three brothers and I would always say, dad, why can't we go to McDonald's? And my dad says, because there's something greater to invest in. I remember my dad bringing home a family one Friday night that he had found living under the bridge, the covered bridge, homeless people. He brought them to our house. My mom cooked them a complete roast dinner. My dad got all the clothes, went through all of our closets, any clothes we hadn't worn, gave them and got the man a job at the local grocery store. I remember my brother Tony getting in a fight. We lived uh, just below the main street. So our home was here and then our big yard where we played baseball. Then you walk up the hill and there was a giant supermarket there. My brother worked as a bag boy there. And one day he got in a fight with one of the other bag boys and the fight spilled into the parking lot all the way down in our yard. And I saw my father go out, the boy that had gotten in a fight with my brother. I saw my dad go out and sit him down on the front porch and take a cold cloth, wipe the blood off his nose, give him a little back rub massage and calm him down and say, now you two boys, knock it off. And then this guy comes in and my mom feeds him a meal. Those are my parents. You cannot raise your children in Babylon and expect them to live in Jerusalem. And one day a week at shift will not do it. It's not fair that you send us your kids and you think we're going to straighten them out. We're only supposed to help do what you're already doing at home. We will reinforce, but if you expect us to save your kids, we cannot. But let me say something to you kids who have been raised in Babylon You don't have to stay. You can move into Jerusalem. In fact, that's the command. Come out from her in Revelation 18, 4. My people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. If your parents raised you in Babylon, Christ can break the chains. He can stop the cycle. He can set the captives free. He can bind the brokenhearted. You don't have to live in Babylon. Come on over to Jerusalem. When I was playing high school basketball, again, we were playing our in-state rivals, and it was one of those games where I was being double, triple teamed, but I, I pulled a Kobe, and a Kobe means I just kept shooting. 
And so finally, about midway through the second quarter, I thought to myself, wait a minute, if there are two or three guys guarding me, somebody must be open. So I got this novel idea, pass the ball. And I passed the ball and we started scoring. Coach Carver called a timeout. When we came over, he said, Vines, I saw that. I said, what? Your eyes opened. The light bulb came on, didn't it? And I said, what are you talking about? Vines, pass the stinking ball. <laughs> right? For those of you who've grown up in Babylon, get out of the stinking city. It's not going to give you what it promises. I promise you that. Live a life of sacrifice and generosity and for a purpose bigger than yourself. This is Today with Jeff Vines. It's the conclusion of Pastor Jeff's discussion about whose kingdom are you really building? Let's continue. Have you fallen out of fear of God? In verse 5 of chapter 19, and a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Revelation is going to tell you That praising God is not merely raising your hands in worship, but praising God truly is obeying his word. Those who live in Jerusalem fear God. That is, they recognize his voice. They listen to his voice. They go far beyond just knowledge of the word into doing the word. In Jerusalem, you live by the word of man. Sorry, in Babylon, you live by the word of man. It's bound to happen. In Jerusalem, you live by the word of God. Sooner or later, you've got to make up your mind and you just can't say it. You actually have to make a change. In Revelation 19, we meet the rider on the white horse and I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it was called what? Faithful and true. His word is faithful and true. Revelation 19, 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. They keep his word. In Jerusalem, you live by the word of God. In Babylon, you live by the word of man. In Babylon, you attend church from time to time and have just enough of the word in you in hopes that you can use it as a magic wand to say it, wave it, and God will give you what you want. But in Jerusalem, you know that living by the word of God is the way to get what will truly satisfy. Can we talk about Bruce Jenner for a second? People keep asking me, what do you think, Pastor Jeff? Are you gonna write something? You're gonna blog about this? How do you feel? Let me tell you how I feel. Great sadness and pain. Do you know how sad it is when a man doesn't know who he really is? The problem is when you live in Babylon, you keep searching for significance the Babylon way. When you live here, you know you find it in the faithfulness and trustworthiness of the word of God designed to bring the abundant life. Besides that, folks, come on. Transgender surgery is not the solution. We've known that for 30 years now. The Wall Street Journal had an article published recently. It launched a study in the 1970s comparing the outcomes of transgendered people who had surgery with outcomes of those who did not. As a result, numerous hospitals across the U.S. and across the world actually decided never again to do sex reassignment surgery because the study realized that the consequences were devastating. In 2011, there was a study at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, and it produced the most illuminating results yet regarding transgendered surgery. A 30-year study, 30 years, that's a pretty long time. 324 people who had sex reassignment surgery, they found that 10 years after the surgery, increasing mental difficulties occurred in these patients. Suicide rates rose 20%, 20%. 
And there was a growing sense of isolation on the aging, those who had had the transgendered surgery. You're not going to hear that from the media because there are too many people championing it because they want freedom and equality. But controlled and follow-up studies have documented, scientifically speaking, that those young boys and girls who were tracked by Vanderbilt Hospital and by London's Portman Clinic, who began to have transgendered feelings when they were simply left alone, 80% of them spontaneously lost those feelings in return to who God made them to be. And the article goes on to say, sex change is biologically impossible. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery do not change from men to women or vice versa. Rather, they become feminized men or masculinized women. And if you struggle with this and you're here, understand our love for you. And because we love you, we tell you this. Sex and race are very similar in that both are sacred. You can't determine whether you were born in America, India, Africa. That's something determined by the divine. Hold your head up high and be proud of your race. It's given to you by God. In the same way, you can't determine whether you're male or female. God determines that. No matter what emotions that you have, genetically speaking, you are male, you are female. The feelings that you have, the emotions that you have are part and partial to a fallen world. Go to God and you'll find your peace in him. And that's why my friend Bob Russell, who's a pastor of a church somewhere, 21,000, wrote this open letter to Bruce. And I love the way he wrote it. He said, Bruce, you are not a woman or a lesbian in a man's body. You're like all of us, are a child of God in a carnal body that is plagued with daily temptations and harmful desires. But God loves you and me in spite of our sins and weaknesses. Christ died to cleanse us of sin and grant us a new heart and a new destiny. My prayer for you is that you find the eternal significance that you will give you a peace that passes understanding. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I am praying for you, Bob. Those who live in Babylon live by the word of God and believe it's faithful and true. Jerusalem. (laughs) Those who live in Babylon reject the word of God and embrace the word of man. But there's one more part and I got one minute to do it. So here's the problem. The fifth question is, have you fallen in love with the Babylonians? Folks, do you realize that while God says the day of Babylon's judgment is coming, the day of judgment is not now. This is the day of grace. Do you realize that our job, even though we don't become like the Babylonians, is not to separate ourselves from them? In Jeremiah 29, the Bible clearly says, Hananiah, a false prophet, wrote to the children of Israel who'd be taken into exile by the Babylonians. And Hananiah said, don't go into the city. Pray that God will judge it. Stay outside on the Kabar Canal. Have nothing to do with them. And Jeremiah, the real prophet of God, was furious and wrote them a letter that you'll find in Jeremiah 29. He said, Hananiah is a false prophet. Don't stay outside the city. Go inside the city. God has called you. In fact, in verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. And Jeremiah says, true. You don't want to separate because God's called you here for a purpose. Yay! I get to stay in LA. I get to go to Dodger games and Angel games. I get to experience. But 
While you're not separating, he says, make sure you don't assimilate. Don't be like them. Don't lose sense of your identity and who you are. Don't read what they read, watch what they watch, think their thoughts, believe their philosophy. Make sure that you number yourselves and count yourselves as the people of God. Remain distinctively as the people of God. Don't assimilate. Don't separate. Permeate. Go into the city. Be a light. Be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Number yourselves. Know your identity in Christ. He's calling us to be spiritually bicultural. Be citizens of heaven. But live in Babylon for now and change it. And so take the people out of the Jerusalem and take those people and pour them out, the Bible says. And if you will pour yourselves out into Babylon, because I have a heart and love for the people in Babylon, then I will pour my power of the Holy Spirit. I will pour it into, into the Babylonian. And you will grow and you will rise up and you will overflow and you will keep overflowing. And those who are less fortunate will come to the knowledge and the love and compassion of Christ. And those who want to know how it is we should then live. Those who are looking for a moral code. Those who are looking for the law of God. Those who are looking for peace. Those who are looking to fill the void. Because you move into the city, you'll explode. It will start out as a mustard seed. But it will grow and grow and expand and expand. So that those who are in Babylon, those who are far from God, may come near to God and live in the new city of Jerusalem. That is your task. It is my task. Not to separate, not to assimilate, but permeate. And when we do, the world will be changed. So go. Go to Dodger games if you're holy and righteous. Angel games if you struggle with sin. Do what you have to do. But do so distinctively as the people of God. And let God use you to change the world. But be in heaven's name different. You're not from Babylon. You're from Jerusalem. Build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for your goodness and mercy. And I ask you right now that we would have been woken up. We would have been able to take a good look at our lives and ask, what are we building? What do we dream about? What do we pursue? And if we're building our own kingdom and making a name for ourselves, help us to realize it's going to fall. Babylon will fall and only the kingdom of Christ will stand. And only those things that we've done for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of Christ and his work in this world will pass into eternity. And one day the new Jerusalem will come and that place that we've all desired will become a reality. Make us citizens of the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem in Jesus' name. Amen. For joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of Whose Kingdom Are You Really Building? For more resources and information, head to our website. That's vision.org.au. You can listen to today's message again or find other information from Pastor Jeff by searching for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 